Black people in contemporary America often refer to the talk, a conversation in which they advise their children how to act if they're stopped by the police. I remember my parents giving me an equivalent lecture when I was seven years old and living in the Soviet Union. Except, instead of learning how to placate trigger-happy cops, we were instructed how to keep our conversation secret from the state. Although I was only young, it was routinely stressed upon me that anything we spoke about must never ever be repeated outside the family home. Whether that be in the school playground, a local park, or a friend's house where a grown-up could potentially overhear us. If this happened, and they informed the authorities, there could be catastrophic consequences. This may sound rather excessive or even a little paranoid, as if my mother and father were cranky conspiracy theorists who had a penchant for David Icke and Alex Jones. But the great irony of it was that it was reasonable common sense views which would be punished, and the precautions my family took were proportionate given the circumstances. After all, the potential repercussions were no joke back in the 80s. The power of the USSR may have been waning when I was a boy, but the law of the land, the criminal code of the Russian Socialist Federative Soviet Republic, was still very much active and routinely enforced, especially when it came to Article 70, which dealt with the so-called anti-Soviet agitation. Under the specific rule, people could be arrested, tried and punished for propaganda or agitation with the purpose of undermining or weakening the Soviet power. It included slanderous fabrications that target the Soviet political and social system, production, dissemination or storage for the same purposes of literature with anti-Soviet content. We didn't know at the time that the Soviet Union was on the brink of collapse. What we did know from our own family history, which I'll share with you in this book, was that only recently anyone who spoke ill of the regime, for whatever reason, was deemed a criminal. If convicted, the punishment was not insubstantial. It ranged from six months to seven years in a squalid prison, alongside violent and sociopathic criminals such as murderers, rapists, and pedophiles, to long-term detention in a gulag, a labor camp, where they could potentially be worked to death doing a whole manner of grim back-breaking jobs. The lucky ones were given the option of being sectioned and committed to a mental hospital, Tsikhushka or dispatched into exile, where they'd be forced to live in a remote, desolate, and unforgiving part of the country, such as Siberia, for anything up to five years. But whichever they chose, none of it was pleasant. Scarily, it didn't take much to be deemed an offender, or more specifically, a dissident, which was the official term given to anyone who didn't drink the Soviet Kool-Aid. Although some citizens were sent down for violent protest or being outspoken, most were detained for simply having an unpopular opinion. My grandmother, who was still in her 50s at the time, would recall that in her childhood people were jailed for inadvertently having their chips wrapped in a newspaper with Stalin's face on it. That's how crazy it was. While anti-Soviet sentiment was a criminal offense and discouraged at all costs, pro-Soviet hype was regularly disseminated by those in power and took various forms. Everything from street posters, art and books, cinema, theater, and perhaps most eerily, schools and youth organizations. This included my early school life, during which radicalized teachers would drill political theory into the syllabus, and subsequently our minds. Pavlik Morozov's story. The propaganda story I most vividly remember from this time is the true tale of Pavlik Morozov, a Soviet youth who later became lionized as a martyr by state leaders. As the story goes, he was the son of poor peasants who grew up to become a super committed supporter of the communist cause. By the age of 12, in 1930, He was so radical that he reported his own father to the police for alleged anti-Soviet activity. In a highly publicized trial, Morozov claimed his father had forged counterfeit documents for fellow dissidents, 
and sold special favors to prosperous peasants called kulaks who were resisting the government's collectivization policy, a plan to forcibly strip farmers of the land they owned and redistribute it amongst the community. As if that wasn't enough, Morozov also accused a number of other kulaks of hoarding their produce and withholding it from the authorities, who wanted to seize both the means of production and the fruits of the people's labor. Pavlik's father was ultimately found guilty and sent to a gulag, where he was subsequently lined up against a wall and executed by firing squad. Communist leaders lauded Pavlik as a hero to be worshipped. It was as if he was a symbol of loyalty to the greater good. Statues, plaques and monuments were commissioned in his honour across a number of Soviet cities, and his twisted legacy was taught to schoolchildren across the nation as part of the curriculum. <laughs>